Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I got home last night and I had a package on my doorstep and it was from Green Chef, who are my sponsors for this series. I was absolutely blown away with what was inside. Not only did they have the step-by-step recipe cards in there, but they had all the ingredients and as fresh as you can get them. Last night, I cooked the duck in balsamic glaze, which I'd never tried before. These pre-portioned ingredients allowed me to try this new flavour completely risk-free, and I was able to eat the exact right amount of these ingredients. Not only that, but they had tender stem broccoli. How many other food boxes send tender stem broccoli? It was unbelievably delicious, and I can't recommend it enough. Their high-quality, fresh, seasonal ingredients just blew me away. And it's allowed me to eat consistently and have a routine whilst eating healthily. So get 40% off your first box and 20% off your next three boxes with the code GREENSTRONG. That's GREENSTRONG for 40% off your first box and 20% off your next three boxes. Welcome back to Headstrong. My name is Louis Strong and I am the host of this podcast. Headstrong is a podcast where I engage with individuals in the public eye to talk to them about their mental health experiences, the highs and lows of their life that have helped define who they are today. Today's guest has a very unique journey. Rebecca Adlington is a multiple medal Olympic winner. It was a real treat to have her on the podcast. We talked about what it was like getting into swimming from a a very young age, the strains that had on her family, 
and the support that her family have given her throughout her career to get to that level of success. Of course, there were a few hiccups along the way, and we talked about those as well. So I really hope you enjoy this episode of Headstrong. Becky, thank you so much for joining me on Headstrong. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I am actually very good, thank you. I'm a little bit hot and flustered, but I'm ready to go, raring to go. (laughs) Um, But you're probably enjoying a sit down every now and then for an hour with two young kids running around. To be honest, it's one of those I'm very grateful because I'm taking this time to pour myself a hot cup of tea and I don't normally get to drink them hot. They normally go cold or I have a sip and then I forget about it and it's cold by the time I get back to it. So I'm utilizing this time wisely by multitasking with a cup of tea. The wellness tea. There's nothing quite like it. (laughs) Exactly. Lovely. I mean, we're going to obviously talk about your wonderful career, your swimming, the Olympics, but I really want to talk about children first and foremost and your approach to motherhood and what that's done to you because it's basically an occupation in itself raising one child let alone two or three like my mum did and then people who are crazy enough to have more than three yeah gonna say I'm one of three as well so my mum and dad were one of those crazy bunch but yeah I've only got the two at the minute we're all right at the minute Ah. (laughs) Oh no, we would all. I, I love kids. I absolutely love it, and I've got loads of nephews and stuff as well. More kids, the better. So, before you had your your first child, what was your what were your expectations of motherhood? What did you expect? Because it's always rumor at first. Do you know what? I've always been one of those people, and I think this was from sport. Um, I've never been the most maternal person ever. So, I've got sisters, um, and both of them two were so maternal. Like, both of them two were just like always growing up, like, oh, babies, and how cute. And they just connected with kids whenever other kids were around. They like interacted with them really well. And I was always just kind of one of those that's like, oh, yeah, baby, yeah, nice. And then carried on with my life. But I, I guess sport was a little bit like that because I kind of didn't really think of myself as being a mom or kind of thinking that. Um, and then after obviously I retired and, and had my own. So having my first child completely changed who I was. Um, I think everybody expected me to be bad cop. So I think that expectation was there out of the parents that I was always going to be the tough parent. I was always going to be the one that was bad cop and, and telling them off. Um, and to be honest, the biggest thing I get told is that I'm too soft. <laughs> and I was like, you're too soft for the kids. Um, But yeah, I think it's just, it completely softened me, changed. And I know everyone says that. And of course it changes your lifestyle, but it definitely changed me as a person. It brought out that maternal side um, and it kind of, I'm not very patient and it has definitely tested my patience at time and definitely increased on that sense. And yeah, absolutely love it. They're just an, uh, just such a joy to be around. Don't get me wrong. I'm not like that with all babies, other, other people's kids. I'm like, oh yeah, nice. It's only my own. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I can understand that. Did you feel like the second time round was easier? You kind of knew the tricks of the trade? Yeah. And just being older as well, because there's like nearly a six year age gap as well. So obviously I'm just so much older and loads of my friends have now all got kids and my sisters and everything else. So I'm just kind of more used to it. And I just feel more comfortable with it. You feel more confident. I think first time round, you panic about every little thing. Second time you're like, yeah, they're fine. And it's just, you're just way more relaxed with it. You feel more confident with it. And yeah, it is completely different. And you just get to, I think with the first one, what we did was we kind of changed our life to cater to her schedule. Whereas Mm. the second one comes along and you can't do that. 
they have to fit in with your schedule. It's impossible Where to do, do it any other yeah. And it's just impossible. Like I've got to do the school run. So therefore you're coming in the car with me, like, and your nap time is after, like, it's just the way it's got to be. They just fit in. Whereas I think the first time you kind of revolve around them a little bit more. Second time you're like, nah, you're slotting in with us, get on board. <laughs> my mum, my mum talks about it really well. And she says with the oldest, my brother, she was very, you know, strict in terms of what happened. Then I'm the middle one. And I was like, yes, okay, we'll follow some rules. And then I was a bit of a, bit of a naughty boy and then my sister the youngest she'd get away with anything absolutely anything you know having had the first year my mum was just like yeah go on then and I remember she was in a year four class so she was what eight or nine and they, she, they were having a PSHE talk on smoking at the time uh. and the teacher said has anyone here smoked before and my sister put her hand up and everyone was like oh, oh my god and the teacher was Australian and they were like, no, you can't have smoked. There's no way that you smoked. And she went, oh, yeah, my mum and dad let me smoke shisha on the holiday. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. That's where, like, you've got to be careful because the kids shame you at school. They really shame you. They'll say anything. Oh, yeah, they, they are quite bad at that. To be fair, I'm the youngest, so I am your sister. <laughs> yeah, and I would like I, to add as well that my, my mum did not realise at the time that shisha was... Um, contained any bad substances and would obviously naturally not allow that to happen again but just clearing the of air there. yeah no of course oh god us, us little ones we got away with murder my sister hates the fact that like whenever i was like even simple things like my sister wasn't allowed to wear like a mini skirt or have her own phone until a certain age and then i came along and they were like yeah of course you can they were, my sisters hated it they were like what you made us wait until this time and i'm like they're like stepping back like awkward <laughs> just step out the room. I'm like, okay. <laughs> now, I know that they are incredibly young still, but as an incredibly ambitious athlete, do you have any expectations of them or are you happy for them to actually just enjoy themselves? Oh, totally happy for them to enjoy themselves. My whole career sparked off my enjoyment. So I'm never going to force them to do anything because if they don't enjoy it, nothing will ever good will ever happen anyway mm. um, and it's one of those I, I think it's just for me the only message I always tell like the consistent things I always say to my more so my daughter my little boy is too young but just I'm like don't give up and always believe in yourself they're the two things because she does give up way too easy if she can't do something she's just like no I'm not doing it and I'm like no 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 we don't give up we'll keep trying that's how you get better so they're like my consistent messages um, and I'm not telling her to do that because I want her to go into that I just want her to feel like she's achieved something and to gain confidence because once she then gets it she's like oh my god and it's like the best thing ever so I just want her to to kind of break through and once you practice you'll then be good at it <laughs> and something I I'm doing some teaching at the moment as well helping at a school and something that Ooh. I'm promoting as well as not giving up is teamwork because I feel like it's so there's many and I know that not every sport involves being in a team but it's not just that in a classroom you can work in a team and that's such an important skill to learn from an early age yeah. And the thing is as well, even sports that aren't team sports, like swimming, I would class swimming as an individual sport, not a team sport, but I wouldn't have achieved anything without my team. Like, so this there's always a team, even when there's not a team, if that makes sense, even if you're not part of a team sport, there is always a team behind that success. So you need to learn teamwork, no matter whether it's a team sport or not, I think, because it's just absolutely fundamental. I've never met anybody 
in any walk of life, whether you're sports, business, whatever industry you're in, that has got where they've got without a team ever. hundred percent, hundred percent. Now I've got to ask you, what's, what's been your proudest moment as a mother thus far? Oh, um, do you know what? It's really s- silly things. Like it's like my daughter the other day, she tested positive and she's been off school um, for a couple of weeks and she went back to school and this, it sounds so like ridiculous, but she walked, as we were walking back into the playground, her school friends ran out of the classroom and was jumping up and down and so excited to see her. Like she was the queen coming to visit. Oh. And I was just like, that just, I got back in the car and I was like, that just totally warmed my heart the fact that she is liked that's my proudest thing because I'm so happy that she is kind and that she likes people she gives people that time she's got that real caring personality and that for me is like such a proud thing as a mom that I'm like okay I've done all right because she is kind and she's caring and people love her and I'm like okay phew, we're all right in life <laughs> that's a wonderful image as well I really like that um let's rewind back to your own childhood then because you were naturally introduced to the pool at a very young age and naturally seemingly never looked back or never got out of the pool, whichever way you want to look at it. What yeah. can you remember from your formative years, not just in terms of swimming, but how, how was your early childhood in terms of going to school? Did you enjoy it? Um, it was one of those things for me that I think having older siblings and you will relate to that, you constantly do get compared to your siblings. Um, so I think it was one of those that I wasn't as academic as my sisters were. My sisters were very academic, top of the class and everything, always the top grades, everything like that. So I wasn't quite that. So I think most teachers got really excited when they were like, oh, another Adlington. And, and then they quickly realized, oh, she's a bit of a different Adlington. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that was always interesting at school um, because that was, yeah, very, very different. But at the same time, I did absolutely love it. Um, I had a great group of friends. Same with swimming. Um, swimming was one of those that I think more of the friendships than I do like about any of the actual sessions. I think back to like, oh God, all my friends are there, all the fun times, like the galas, stopping off at McDonald's on the way back on the bus, like the the tuck shop pit, like my mum and dad used to give me 20p and we used to have those one penny sweet mm. bags, like after swimming and, and like all that sort of stuff, like really just silly stuff that I remember or like winning, like good times with my mates or like not not just the winning basically. Those one piece sweets are enough to make me do any activity when I was younger. <laughs> I'd be at rugby club if I knew that that was happening. If they weren't going to be sweets there, I wasn't going. <laughs> exactly. It was the fundamental thing of all our childhood. was the, like a table set up. Mm. There was always a woman running it and they were always set up with the boxes of one penny sweets. I used oh. to love it. Oh, 100%. Now, thinking about that swimming, because quite often as well, there are some incredibly early mornings. Um, yeah. how, how, how did you manage your, your education yourself? And your sport. Where was oh, your was re- process at? Yeah, really difficult. I mean, we used to, uh, just because of where the training was, so we lived 45 minutes from the pool. So it was a lot of time in the car as well. So it was like three hours in the car every day, plus then school, plus then sport, four hours in a pool. So it's kind of like, hold on, we're running out of hours in a day here when you when you take all of it away. So um, it was one of those I found really difficult. My sisters were brilliant, I will say that. 
I used to get home at eight o'clock at night and they used to have made sure they've done their homework so they could help me with mine. They were absolutely fantastic. I wouldn't have been able to do it without them. Um, the school, I think it's one of those that some of the teachers were really good with like setting certain homework or kind of understanding if I couldn't get pieces done. But it was a lot. My mum and dad were brilliant at talking to the school, but it was just hard. Some teachers were just like, why are you off swimming? Didn't really get it. And some of the teachers really totally got it. So it was kind of a bit of a juggling act with different um, subjects. But I got um, glandular fever and post-viral fatigue in my final year of GCSEs. And it was just from that balance. Like I just, I could, was just so tired. I just, my body just literally depleted and I had just no energy, no nothing to do it because I was trying to give swimming my everything as well as trying to keep up with my school. Um, it was really, really difficult. It sounds like you got completely burnt out. And as you say, yeah. not enough hours in the day. How did you kind of learn to manage that then? To be fair, I kind of didn't, don't think I did. I think that's why I got so ill. Um, and I think with my GCSEs, I was just kind of like, get me to the finish line sort of thing, really. I think it was a lot of, okay, help from people around me, my sisters, et cetera. And to be fair, I passed everything. I didn't get anything below a C for my GCSEs, which to say how ill I was, I think my attendance in my final year was something like 50% because I was always off swimming and everything. So to say I wasn't there, I'm actually really proud that I got that. But we then took the decision to not do my A-levels, to take that time off just to get healthy because my sister um, my middle sister had encephalitis which is a brain virus so she was really ill in hospital and she was in intensive care for for a while so she was really ill so we both took that year off and then I qualified for Beijing and I fully applied to go back to college um, to do my A-levels to kind of go back into that education and um it was then after my second gold medal, I phoned my mum and dad. And I think the first thing I said was, does this mean I don't have to go back to school? Uh-huh. <laughs> they were like, yeah, you don't have to go back now. I was like, thank you. I love the fact you still asked. Brilliant. <laughs> Where did you draw the line? No, you're still my parents. <laughs> well, you have to, don't you? And the thing is, a gold medal doesn't mean that you can't do that. I think it was just for me, like, I was fairly daunted about going back because mm-hmm. it was like, I'm not naturally academic. And I think so many people, I will say, like, all my friends, like, studied uni, like, they were doing degrees throughout their training. So it is possible to have both. I don't want people to think, oh, gosh, well, I have to stop school to be good because that's simply not true. It just wasn't necessarily for me. Like, a lot of my friends, like, one of my good friends, she wanted wanted to be a lawyer after sport so she knew she had to do that I didn't want to be I don't want to be a lawyer so I didn't have to go down that path so I think it depends what you want to do afterwards as well and when you're in a sport like swimming that hasn't got that longevity you have to think about what comes after and just before we do talk about the swimming and the immense success I just want to talk about touch on your your sister's and your parents and the sacrifice that they have to go through. And it comes back to that, um, that support and that teamwork. And it comes from that, that family kind of surrounding you because you could not have done it without them. 100% not. From everything, everything like I've mentioned even before, that they would make sure they've done their homework. My sisters would have, will make sure, because we always want to have a family meal. And I know it sounds really silly, but they used to make sure that every night when we got home at eight, we would all sit down and have their meal. So even just them eating their tea at eight o'clock at night, every night, just so we could sit down as a family and they used to cook it. Like it's things like that. And even as I got older, um, 
and I moved to, to, to Nottingham, I lived opposite my sister, like in Friends, where they live opposite on the hall. And my sister Brilliant. used to cook for me three nights a week and like always, always supported me in that sense. And same with my parents. I mean, my mum had to literally be my funding, my taxi driver, my nutritionist, my physio, my everything. Um, and my parents were just so, so brilliant. They traveled the world with me to support me. I just, I always say that my par- that my medals are equally just theirs. And two actually medals actually live with my mum and dad. And we always joked for many years before my dad retired a couple of years ago that my dad used to go to work and be a bit like Superman and wear my medals underneath his suit <laughs> because he just loved it any opportunity to be like medals because he's such a sport fan and obviously he hoped I would be a boy as well and go to the football with him so when I came out a girl he was like oh not another one I can't do sport with so he was very happy that I got into sport and lived part of it through me I guess oh brilliant that's absolutely fantastic and it comes down to kind of the word sacrifice almost they they sacrifice so much of their own time but it's obviously so clearly been worth it. Yeah, I need definitely. to ask you, though, very quickly, is was there uh, a competitive edge between you and your sisters? Or were you very much the sporty side and they were the acad- academics? Um, when I was a little bit younger, so like kind of um, more when I was like 10, 11, um, and my sisters both still swam. My middle sister did not like it once I started beating her. Definitely didn't. Um, yeah, she quickly dropped off once I started to beat her a lot. But otherwise, no. there hasn't not really because the, my eldest sister was a sprinter. So I think it was it's never fully crossed over because my eldest sister was a sprinter, I was a distance swimmer, and my middle sister. My middle sister is one of those people. She was good at everything. Mm. Like I only really focused on swimming, whereas my middle sister did everything to everything at a good level as well. She did rugby, trampolining, badminton. She did everything that was really good. And she's just one of those really annoying people that's good at everything. You're like, oh, go away. <laughs> a, a typical Jessica Ennis. Yes, that is, that is exactly what my sister was. So I don't think she was even bothered that I beat her at one thing. Because yeah, she literally. Literally kill me everything else. So it's oh. fine. <laughs> Well, let's let's talk about the Olympics then. I want you to can you can you retell me the the phone call or the time that you were told that you were going to Beijing? To be fair, this was really a dull story because we have to have a qualification. Um oh. so we have yeah. So it is like one of those that isn't just a surprise. Like we had a qualifying meet and um, they're always like March, April before the games are in the summer. So you go, you have to be, hit top two top two in your event and then hit a time. So it's kind of one of those that's a double-edged sword because you have to make sure that you're top two. And if you're third, but with the time, you still don't get to go. So it is really, really difficult. So I kind of knew as soon as I finished my race, really, that I was going. Um, and it was just one of those amazing things that not only when you race well and you, you do well, but just that, you know, you go into the games. And like, I couldn't believe it after all that illness that I had spoke about, all the school stuff, everything that had gone on. I was 19. I was just kind of like, oh my God, I'm just a girl from Mansfield and I'm going to the Olympics. It was just absolutely amazing just like the best feeling and then all the stuff that's amazing comes afterwards like the kitten out day no one no one explains to you how good the kitten out day is and it's such an important day as an athlete i loved it oh that sounds like the ultimate day who doesn't love stash exactly and you get literally i think i must have come away with four or five suitcases of stuff full of stuff 
Like that's how much kick you get. It's ridiculous. That's unbelievable. Um, unbelievable. Still, still giving it away for charity as well, no doubt. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've given predominantly 90% of mine away to charity, to be fair. Apart from the trousers. Nobody wants the trousers. <laughs> that's just a bit weird, isn't it? So, of course, you've done all this physical prep. But now you, you, you say it's a dull story, but actually that's the, next, that's the next stage because you then have to prepare mentally to be on the biggest stage in the world. And that is yeah. the Olympics in front of the world. How did you prepare mentally for that stage and that platform? Do you know what? I didn't do it in probably the right way. I think I just was so then nervous. And I was one of those that didn't race well mid-season. And I remember going to a open meet in Rome um, and we did this competition. It was kind of like a pre-Olympic like race opportunity. And we went there and the whole team swam really, really well, bar me sort of awful and I knew I didn't race well mid-season but I was going into the to Beijing ranked really highly um, and not that that means anything I knew that that didn't mean anything because rankings just to, to get you there it never ends up that the rankings are the medals ever but I was I was ranked really highly and after that race in Rome um, I came back and I just had a proper like strop I just was like threw my thing down and my coach was like what's going on with you and I was like I'll oh, just leave me alone but strong language here I was like just leave me alone and then he was like no you leave me alone like we ended up yelling at each other but then after that that's the only argument we've ever had in the whole 12 years of being swimmer and coach relationship that one argument and afterwards like we actually I fully vented to him how frustrated I was that I just I didn't know how to prepare. I, I was getting so overwhelmed with being ranked highly. I'd never been in a world final before. I'd never experienced anything like this. And I just fully unle- un- told him everything that you've just said there. Like, I can't cope with this. I don't know how to deal with it. I don't know how to prepare. I don't know what to be thinking. I don't know what I'm doing. And I just let it all kind of un- un- open out onto him. And then he talked me through every single thing. And it was just so valuable. And I wish I didn't need to have a strop for me to actually open up and talk about it, but it took that. And actually that argument was probably the best thing that ever happened because it helped me and it helped me prepare then for that. Um, and nothing ever quite prepares you, but at least I had that kind of benchmark. I had that thing. Um, but yeah, it's totally better as any expectation going to an Olympics than anyone can ever prepare you for. I mean, at the age of 19, though, how are you expected to manage those expectations and emotions on your own? And now we see it even more clearly with all British sports, particularly cycling, I can think of, um, particularly when I look at the Tour de France and stuff. But loads of sports now that have sports psychologists in every team, and it's part of the parcel now. And maybe it was sort of part of the package back then, but even more so now. Yeah, we didn't have any of that um, pre-Beijing. I think it was one of those that, like this was 2008, this was 14 years ago. Like it was so long ago. And and especially for swimming, like we, we're very much a, a minority sport. We're not a well-funded sport. Um, cycling is kind of way ahead of the curve and so is rowing and, and other sports. And um, we jumped definitely on that bandwagon since. And it was one of those after Beijing um, and after we actually had some success in the pool that we got our funding upped. Um, and then that's when the sports psychologist came in and uh, my gosh, uh, how it changed my whole career having that sports psychologist. I definitely had the stigmas around it first. 
I definitely was like, oh my God, if I got to lay on a sofa and talk about my feelings on a pillow, like I just from what you see in the films and like had all these stigmas around it. And I was like, oh gosh, are people going to think I'm weak? And, and I just, I don't know, I just had this real weird perception about it. And then I did one session um, and his name was Simon. And after that session, I came out going, oh my God, it's so not what I expected. And it's absolutely brilliant. This is only going to make me a better, stronger athlete. 100% this is for me. It's so weird how it just clicked into place. um, And I never looked back. Did you feel like that showing vulnerability was a weakness or exposing yourself in that way was seen as a weakness to maybe the opposition, your competitors, but actually to yourself as well? I think that's exactly what it was. I kind of because it wasn't me that suggested it. It was my coach that came to me and said, look, Becky, I've never coached a double, double Olympic champion. I can't be your everything. I don't know how to guide you through this. I think you should see a sports psychologist. And my immediate reaction was, why? What do you think's wrong with me? And that was my immediate thing going, oh, why do you think I can't handle it? And he was like, no, I just think you need somebody to talk to. And actually, like him saying that to me, was absolutely fantastic. But I had this perception that, oh gosh, it made me weak. And I also exactly thought that if people found out I was going to one, they would think that I'm not mentally strong enough and that I'm weak. I'm a weak athlete and they can like pick that apart. Or, or I don't know. It was just weird that I had that perception. Um, and then obviously after that, I realized that's a total load of nonsense and it made me a 10 times better athlete. I would never then have carried on achieving what I did without that sports psychologist. So to shoot back to Beijing then, can you remember the first time you walked into the Olympic Village? Yeah. How was that? What was that? What was that buzz like? Could you, was it a pinch yourself moment? That was like, have you ever been to Disneyland? Really? That it was, it was a Disneyland, like, oh my God, that magic, that just like, that kind of thing where you just get blown away like you walk in and you're like oh my god it's massive and you just walk in round and you're just like oh my god and then you're seeing Rafa Nadal and David Beckham and like all these people and then you go into the food hall and it's like the biggest thing ever it's like Hogwarts it's like oh my god and it just keeps going and it's it's ridiculous it's just you can't even put it into words because I'd never experienced anything like that. Like even like, I'd only ever been to like a hotel for like a championships. I'd never been in a village environment and didn't really know what to expect. So this was just phenomenal. And it was just everything from like, even the person that stands on like your apartment block, who's like your little volunteer and your guide thing that's at the bottom. And you're like, hi. And he's like, how can I help you? And you're like, Oh, you're here for us. And I'm like, it's bizarre. Like, it's just unbelievable. Uh, yeah, it's amazing. You're the most important people for those three weeks, of course. <laughs> but what I need, uh, without lowering the tone at all, what's the uh, inter-country athlete relationship <laughs> experiences like? Is there a fair amount of promiscuity occurring? You know what? I get asked this question so much and so many things get put, thrown around because I heard a stat of so many like condoms that were handed out in London or this. I've never been handed one. They must only target the like thin, good looking people. They go, well, she's not going to use them. And I'm like, what? I've never heard this, never seen this, never done whatever. And I'm like, it can't be our sport because the swimmers have never, it must be the athletics or something. I'm like, it's, it's athletics definitely- and beach volleyball. I'm sure of it. it- it can't be us. And to be fair, like swimmers, we do finish first. So like swimmers, we have the second week off and we do go out and 
of course, party. But I think it's one of those as well. We are quite, well, I'd like to think I certainly try to be very respectful when coming back because I realise other people are still competing. Like I wasn't going to flaunt that around the village because people are competing. So it's different if you go out and once you're out, um, but not coming back in and doing all that sort of stuff, definitely tried to respect it. I mean, I've heard different stories, but I can't say I've ever seen them firsthand. And I wish I had really. I feel a bit like, oh, it's a bit boring. (laughs) I know. I'm sure there's some good ones in camp. But let's talk about returning from Beijing because naturally your bag was a little bit heavier. Uh, I imagine you put them in your hand luggage. Let's let's be real here. Don't want to yes. lose those. Oh, sorry, we left your bag in Beijing. Oh, imagine. <laughs> I'm going on GMTV tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, definitely didn't do that. Yeah, but no, you get back uh, and naturally your life has changed. People are recognizing you. You're still extremely young and you're catapulted into the spotlight with TV interviews and a hero of British swimming and British sport. How did this feel? It was bizarre. Um, and the thing is as well, um, A, I was 19 and yes, just from a small town, home, whatever. But I'd never even met anyone famous or anyone that had done anything. So that was a bit weird in itself, the fact that I was like, oh, so Chris Foy. And oh, there's like, we're going to Buckingham Palace. And like, all that is just bizarre in itself. There's me fangirling over everyone. Because I'm like, oh my God. Because um, I've never even seen a famous person up close. So that bit was all strange. But from that other different side of the medium, and like you said, all that attention, um, I didn't realize, like we were in Beijing where everything was Chinese. We didn't get BBC. We couldn't see what was going on back home. So landing was a total eye-opener because we were like, oh my God, I didn't realise this was going on back here and all this support. And it was amazing to get the support. And it was just so overwhelming how nice everyone was, how many people like just want to stop and talk to you. And I still didn't understand why. I was stopping in the street and people wanted to talk to me. And I was like, why? What's the matter? I I kind of, it really threw me for like ages because I was like, why do you want a photo of me? Why do you want to talk to me? Like, well, I, I just couldn't not get my head around it. I found it really weird um, because I just didn't get, I, I just felt like I was really boring. I was like, I just get up at 4.30 and I go swimming. Like, that's literally all I had to say. I was like, what is interesting? Did you feel like you had imposter syndrome almost? Definitely. I definitely had that, especially for like that first six months. I didn't have a manager or like an agent um, to start with as well. So my mum, bless her, was like Jerry Maguire. She's like, yes, to Jonathan Ross. No, she's not doing Good Morning. No, she's not doing this. Yes, she can do this. My mum, bless her. I bet she loved it. Oh, she did. But she was very grateful when she could just go here to somebody else because she was finding it really difficult. She obviously had all of us and there was so much going off. Like people were invading her house. Like I really kind of felt sorry for them back here because they had like the press camped outside the house for 24 hours. And it mm. was like, come on guys. And it was just things like that. And my, my sisters used to stay up until like 3am replying to all the fan mail and like making sure that like it was all answered. And yeah, it was just... It, it was a lot for the family, so they were very grateful when the, when a manager took over. Did you, were you feeling anxious, kind of stepping out and being in the spotlight? Yeah, I think it was one of those at first as well. It was so amazing to go somewhere. Um, I can remember being asked to do a couple of things, like go to Strictly Come Dancing, for example, which I'm a huge fan of the show. And I was just like, oh my God, yeah, like I want to go and watch. And it was just amazing to get asked to go to so many things. But then after a while, it was kind of like... 
if I'd go somewhere, I would then I then opened up this different world of social media and the negative side of it, which came in, which was in the art, press articles going, oh gosh, she looks horrible in this dress and and kind of all that negativity. And I think it just kind of opened those doors and I didn't really understand that side of things because I'm just a girl who did sport like I wasn't like yes I had to put a dress on because that's what the events and that's what the criteria was but it wasn't an an area that I was probably comfortable with um and exposing yourself up into kind of that more celeb side of things that like the circle of shame as as like heat magazine used to be and all that sort of stuff so it definitely opened up a different side of things that definitely made me more anxious going, oh gosh, what are people going to say? What are they going to write about me? What's going to happen? Um, and it, it just, you start to then ask them questions, definitely. And fast forward to 2012, the home Olympics, of course, the press were building things up and people were building expectations of you as well. And you came away with a bronze medal, which is still incredible. And Twitter reacted in a not so kind way. Many people did. I know many people were still incredibly proud for your medals, but there was that response with trolling and some of the press um, reacting inappropriately. How did that affect you? I think the thing is, it's one of those that everyone had put that expectation out there. That expectation was, I'm going to get two gold medals again. I couldn't ever come out and say, guys, I'm not going to get two gold medals, because then it would look like it had been really negative, and I couldn't possibly say that. Um, everyone in the sport knew it was so unrealistic for me to get two gold medals again. I'm not saying it was impossible, but I think people knew the sport had massively changed in them four years because we went through this super shiny suit era, which I won't get too technical on you. But things completely changed. And it was one of those that for the 400, I would I went in eighth. I actually went in eighth. So to go from eighth to third and getting that bronze medal was huge because it was so unexpected. I only just made it into that final. So that was massive for me um, because that really happens from an outside lane that you end up getting that medal. So I was massively proud of that. Obviously, the 800 was different. Um, And it was one of those that was just really difficult to get my head around because as athletes, we um, are used to criticism. I'm certainly used to getting analysed and that's what we do anyway. But the fact that people sat at home who when you clicked on their profile hadn't really done anything or kind of hadn't achieved anything they're commenting going you're such a disappointment for getting a third for getting third and I'm sat there going oh god I've disappointed everyone and I've let everyone down and then after a while you start going well what have they done what are they third in the world at? and it, it starts to make you really angry because I was like I've, I've come third like it's not terrible I've not totally car crashed here like I've still got a medal guys but obviously it wasn't the expectation that everybody had for me um so I think that disappointment was always going to be there because everyone thought I was going to get two gold medals again um and the trolling and that sort of stuff to be fair I will openly accept any sort of criticism if it's fair like if somebody said to me oh you got this wrong and this is how you do it I'd be like fine because I'm one of those people you can always learn and I'm open to that but it's when people comment on my opinion that I was like I just don't get it and I still don't get it today I've given up trying to understand the life of a troll because I'm like why do I need to be pretty or look a certain way to swim I was like guys I'm not trying to be a model here like it's absolutely fine like this body has given me four Olympic medals 
I'll take it. Like, and I just don't understand why everyone was so obsessed with my appearance. Like, I've never come out and stated I'm really attractive or pretty. Like, I agree with you. I'm not attractive. So let's move on. What what does that have to do with my sport? Yeah, I, I get what you're saying. Does it, I, I imagine as well, was it difficult? I actually was, I imagine it was actually good to have such a supportive system around you. Your coach, as you say, one that stayed with you your entire career. Your yeah. incredibly supportive sisters and family. And I believe as well, you, you started seeing a therapist? Yeah, yeah, yeah. A couple of years after. So that was after. That was like 2019. So I retired in 2012 and then went to therapy in 2019. But that was massively helpful as well. Like, again, probably one of the best things I've done in my life. But like you say, I am very lucky to have amazing people around me. And I think it takes that. Sometimes you have to take a step back and go, hold on, I need to value the opinions of people that I really value mm. and I really want to take on board and listen to rather than everyone else. If you don't know me and i don't really care what you have to say why am i valuing your opinion well it's a shift in mentality and that's exactly the one you need to take because if you care about trying to please everybody in the world you're never going to do it (laughs) you're not going to get very far are you (laughs) no exactly and it's just switching that mindset and going do you know what i literally don't even know who you are (laughs) and uh, exactly as you did block block away and leave leave the trolls to james blunt (laughs) exactly who's very funny and I wish I could be that witty and clever but I can't and to be honest I used it as like my coping mechanism like I don't just block it and delete it from my feed I block it from my head that's like a, a thing that physically makes me go okay done it's gone and then I don't hold on to it I kind of I need that tool to kind of be able to delete it from my mind so how do you switch off then? Obviously, you've got wonderful family, uh, you've got two lovely children, but do you, how do you give yourself some time to, you know, for wellness and well-being and looking after yourself? Yeah, I think it's something that I can definitely get a little bit better at. Um, and it's definitely one of those that... Um, as a parent, you always put yourself bottom of the priority list. Whereas actually I'm starting to change that mentality because if I put myself a little bit higher, they'll get a better me, they'll get a better parent. So actually I am starting to come around to that way of thinking. But um, for me, I love, I absolutely love the gym. So I make sure that I work out three times a week because I can't possibly do more with kids and work and whatever. But I go for a swim and then I go in the gym and that is like 45, it's only 45 minutes at a time because I don't, I wish I had time for longer, but I don't. So that 45 minutes is just like my heaven. I'm just like, no phone, don't talk to me. I'm just in my zone and I'm happy. Um, absolutely perfect. And otherwise, it's like I said at the beginning, just like a warm cup of tea and just in an evening, just chilling. And I do really stupid stuff as well. You're going to laugh at me, but like doing a jigsaw or paint by numbers or things like that, I love. <laughs> I would never laugh. Oh my word, lockdown was wonderful to me with the jigsaws. <laughs> I loved it. I love a jigsaw and my husband therapeutic isn't it so therapeutic and my husband bought me a paint by numbers for Christmas and it is like been heaven you sit there because I'm so not arty I'm awful but paint by numbers I can do because that's just a number and it's a brush and it's got a mark on it so I was fine and and you'd sit there and then I'd look at my clock and a half an hour had passed I was like oh my gosh like it was amazing how sucked into it and you do that with a jigsaw don't you but all of a sudden you're like whoa an hour's gone crap I need to go (laughs) And the good thing is a paint by numbers is it's very difficult to go wrong. Exactly. Exactly. I was like, I'm fine with this. This is my level of art because otherwise I draw stick people and I'm not arty. 
Exactly. <laughs> One thing I do want to talk about, just when you did retire, what was that support like from British Swimming and indeed Team GB when you retired? Because we look at uh, reality TV now, and particularly I use Love Island as an example with this, how they've had to increase their support uh, yeah. after coming out of something like that. What was the support like as an athlete retiring? Now, do you want me to give the truth or do you want me to... <laughs> Can I, I would, I'd love to hear both. Um, well, would you, are you trying to fluff it up? Um, I think it, it was awful. And it was one of those that I really, really wish I could say it was good. And um, only thing I got from British Women was an email. I got one email saying, thank you and congrats on your career. That's it. Do you have a bitter taste with that? I have... Not now as in like, because I now, uh, my coach is head coach of British Women. I now have a very different relationship with them. And I know that they are starting to get better at that and really taking that seriously. I think it's one of those that um, it should, this shouldn't be a case of, I think we all give excuses for it. I think we all go, um, oh gosh, it was absolutely terrible, but at least it's better now. Whereas actually that should have always been a priority. I don't see how it was only 10 years ago that it was so much worse and that and, and it was it was that level. Um, and us like we are obviously all those retirees, <laughs> when we see each other, all of us just want to help. All of us are desperate to still help, whether it's athletes, whether it's getting involved with British women on how we could help. We all are so willing. All of us are just like ask us anything we'd always be here and like I've always said the same any athlete out there whether you're from swimming or not who contacts me I will reply to you and I will try and help you as much as I possibly can because we're all just sports fans at the end of the day and if we can help somebody we will openly do that um so it's kind of that frustration that uh, we wish we could have done more and um, at the end of the day I didn't need a big thing uh, it would have been nice to have a bit more of acknowledgement um saying oh congratulations on your career and thank you for everything you've done I mean from my medals they got like 20 million so I'm like you could have at least sent me a letter in the post and spent 10p on a stamp or whatever it is rather than an email but at the same time I didn't necessarily need all of that and I'm so grateful now that I have been able to step in and help other athletes and um, talking to my coach now who's the head coach and like doing those things and seeing how they support people. I'm like, if I had to be that guinea pig and that person, I'm so glad I was because it has changed now at least. Um, I just don't feel like it was a good enough excuse. It does need that infrastructure there in place um, because you look at play, uh, rugby as a sport, they've got the RPA who look after players when they retire, cricket, the PCA, exactly the same. And it needs to happen in every sport because as you say, you've retired young from swimming and at, at such a young age still, what on earth do you do? And how do you cope in the real world? Do you know what I mean? Because you're used to getting up at 4.30, training five times a week. And then all of a sudden that has to shift and change. And what do you do? And who <laughs> teaches you that? Exactly. And I also think as well, it isn't just a question of, for me, one of the hardest things I found was that I didn't have anyone to, I'd had a coach for over 12 years of my life guiding me. And it was the first time I had had independence and freedom, as in that nobody helps me make decisions. And that is a big, big thing. Because I was like, oh gosh, what if I make the wrong decision? And what if I do this? Like you didn't have that guide. So it isn't just trying to figure out 
what you want to do and support in that sense. It's having somebody there just to bounce ideas off and just to help you make those decisions. Um, and I missed having that kind of coach, that guide, um, just as much as I did with trying to figure out what I, the hell I wanted to do. Absolutely. Well, I, it's clearly going well, let's be honest. <laughs> um, you've got some amazing things, many fingers in many pies, shall we say, uh, and particularly working with children, introducing them to swimming, uh, which I think is amazing. Um, we, we really encourage the swimming here, and I think we have it timetabled into our lessons um, to make sure that they go swimming, I think it's twice a week. They have more lessons of swimming than my drama lessons. How do you feel about that? be fair I'm very happy about that I will take that um I think the thing is you have to and I think some people do take that responsibility really seriously because mm. the life skill at the end of the day like it's such an important life skill this and I think that's where you go abroad and I don't know about you like when I've traveled to Australia and America they so see it as a life skill first and then a sport whereas actually in this country we still very much just isolate it to well it's just an olympic sport whereas actually it's way more it's a lot more than that um but and there is so many kids like you'll be surprised around the statistics around learn to swim i think there's nearly a million kids leave primary school every single year unable to swim in this country there's i think there's all oh, my little boys crying in the background <laughs> i think there's like 200 pools that haven't opened back up since lockdown which is terrible like that's so many kids. I mean, like just some of the statistics around it. There's eight thousand vacancies within swimming teaching. So that that equivalents to something like six hundred thousand swimming lessons a year that go and miss because there's not staff to fill them. That's a crazy statistic. There's so many statistics around it. It's actually like frightening when you sit there and read them. Um, and obviously, like for us, like as as, as my company. We, we're affecting 25,000 kids a week. But at the same time, that doesn't equivalent to all those people. You feel like such a small number and percentage of that, even though we're getting 25,000 kids. And there's, there's just such a gap that we need to fill. Yeah, it's crazy. I, do you know what? It's weird that you said that about the other countries. When I went, I, I worked in Australia, I mean, albeit seven or eight years ago, I thought swimming was a massive deal when I was there. It is. Um, yeah, I thought it was such a, as you say, it was so competitive and literally so many people were doing it, getting up early uh, and going to galas and everything. It was pretty cool. Uh, yeah, and Australia is like that. Like I spent a bit of time out in Australia. Um, I've been there so many times with swimming, but I went out and trained in, in Brisbane for a while. And I love their like whole attitude to swimming. There's swimming pools everywhere. Yeah. Like, their swimmers are like slabs. Like, they're proper, like, the, the real deal. Like, I don't know. They're just how they treat the sport. And everyone's like, oh, you've got your togs on? Like, you're off for a swim? You're like, yeah. You're like, I love it. I love <laughs> there. And everyone is bought into swimming. And it's just, like, such a normal task. Like, when I was getting up at 5 a.m. to go swimming here... You're very alone because it's dark. You don't see another person and it's quite scary. Whereas in Australia, everybody is up with you. I mean, they're like out and about with you. They're like, morning. You're like, hi, why are you up? <laughs> it's just the culture. Oh, sorry about that. Oh, so let's, can I briefly touch on um, a subject that only, only if you're happy to talk about it, um, because I know that it's a very difficult subject, but uh, it's a taboo subject, but one that I feel that is important to talk about, and that's grief. Okay. If you're happy to talk about it, because I feel that not enough people are, 
and no one knows how to control their emotions surrounding it. And the thing I want to talk about that is, how important is it to lean on people when you're experiencing that? Yeah, massively. I think it's the, the, the fact is everybody has lost somebody in their lives at some point. And I'm kind of one of those people that I see it as it doesn't matter what that connection is to you. It could be a parent, it could be a friend, could be a grandparent, could be a coach, whoever. But it's how it impacts you and makes you feel that it, it kind of is like one of those that one might even recently, one of my friends had a, a, an old friend and he was like, I don't know why I'm upset about it. And I went, don't even ask that question. It doesn't matter that you, it was so long ago, it's affected you and it's made you consider things. And it's, it's, it's one of those that has upset you. It doesn't matter about the rest. Don't question it. If you're upset, you're allowed to be upset. And it's weird how people feel like, oh, well, I can't because somebody's always worse off than you. I think we have this um, nature in this country to go well I won't talk about mine because you're worse off and I feel bad if I bring up mine when you're worse off and I'm like well hold on if it's relevant to your world then it is relevant to talk about it because it's affecting your world and your life so that's kind of my view on it that I think the more you talk about it and you're not ever it's never a competition you're never talking about it going well my grief is worse or I feel more than you on this thing I, I think no you're just trying to say you know what I actually felt, I experienced something similar and you just openly then start to share things but it is one of those that you just everyone's sensitive about it aren't they um and you have to be of course you're never just going to go in there smiling and laughing about it it's one of those that's a serious topic but it affects us all exactly it's something that we will all experience very sadly but with other people that we love but also ourselves and it's the circle of life without being completely <laughs> disney about it but um that, that that's something that happens so how important is it then not just with that but in terms of looking after your mentality to seek support and go to even even if it's anonymous the charities to your gp or to your family friends or writing it down as a personal outlet how important is that for for anybody i think it's one of those that everybody is individual um so for me i found therapy absolutely amazing but that isn't me saying therapy is the only answer it's not um, some people do talk to family and friends I've got a numerous amount of different people in my life and we all do different things um, so therapy was the right one for me because I didn't want to burden other people um, whereas I know other people that have gone to groups online I know people that have phoned support uh, networks that they found on through social media or groups or anything I know some people that talk to a colleague um, because they're kind of not directly connected as if they're in the same friendship group that there's somebody to talk to you know somebody that talks to friends and family everyone has those different outlets and it's definitely finding out what what works for you for me um therapy changed my life as i said earlier and it's one of those i didn't realize the power of it until i went um, and i always know i can go back um i don't currently see a therapist i don't feel like i need that support at this time in my life but i know it's there and i will 100 percent the smmallest thing uh, triggers it or anything that I need will jump back in in a heartbeat um, but definitely having that conversation and to be honest even when you've talked about it doesn't matter who it is to you naturally feel better anyway even if they've not said anything back to you they've just stayed silent you naturally feel better just because you've shared just getting anything off your chest I always feel is beneficial yeah. um, as we wind down then what can we expect from you in 2022 and beyond <laughs> 
Um, well, this year, I'm just hoping that we just get a full year of sport. That <laughs> would be fantastic. Um, it's one of those that the Commonwealth Games, obviously in Birmingham this year, I'm so excited for. Having something back on home ground, I'm like, yay, I can't wait. I think it's just sport brings people together. It's got such a community feel. And I think us in this country right now, we need something that will bring us together. And I think it will definitely do that. Um, from a personal aspect, um, we're opening up a pool in my hometown of Mansfield. Um, so very, very excited that we're building, opening our own Learn to Swim venue there, helping that next generation. So I'm so excited for that. I just can't wait because we've got all the venues, but to have one in your hometown is just a little bit more special. Oh, definitely. That is so true. That's very exciting. And my final question that I ask every guest, what does the word headstrong mean to you? Oh, um, headstrong is something for me that you've got everything in balance. I think it's more about balance for me, that everything, okay, you accept if you need a cry, you accept it sometimes you're sad and you're not feeling it, but sometimes you accept that you're happy and it's trying to find the positive all the time. That's, that's for me, is if you're headstrong, is you'll find a positive um, even when things look really, really bleak. Amazing. Lovely answer. Thank you. Becky, thank you so much for chatting Aww, to me. Thank you so much. Sorry about my little one crying in my headphones. <laughs> Not at all. I absolutely thoroughly enjoyed it, so thank you. <laughs> And so this concludes the episode with Rebecca Adlington. A huge thank you to Rebecca for joining me on the podcast. I really, really appreciate it. If you've enjoyed the episode, please do leave a review and a rating and share it with your family and friends. I really appreciate your support. Until next week then, where I have another guest coming on to talk about their life and their career. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.